The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we've been exploring the Four Noble Truths. I mean, I'm sorry, the Four, the four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Fourth Foundation of Mindful, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness in the Eightfold Path, Wise Mindfulness. So this, this conversation has been going on for a long time. And um, over the last few weeks, we've been exploring a particular set in the, um, in the uh, fourth foundation, the exploration of the seven factors of awakening. And um, last week, I feel like we kind of came to the end of that one. So uh, we're moving on now to the next list in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the Four Noble Truths, the um, exploration of the Four Noble Truths in present moment experience. But again, just a little bit of context of the, the um, Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, and the Fourth, um, the fourth Foundation of, of Mindfulness. So the, um, the four foundations of mindfulness, the teachings of the Satipatthana Sutta is um, really the kind of key meditation instructions in the suttas about how to be mindful of our present moment experience. The, f- the four foundations of mindfulness are the body, and that's the first, the first foundation. And I think it's, there's an encouragement in a way to begin with what's most obvious in our experience body experience, body sensation, you know, what's happening in our physical being is, is one of the easiest places to begin to connect with our present moment experience. And so that's, that's a foundation for mindfulness in the present moment. We establish our attention on that, uh, that side of our experience, that aspect of our experience. The second foundation, the foundation of feeling tone of whether experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, begins to move into a subtler realm of experience. Um, it begins to uh, to move into mental experience, actually. You know, sometimes we might think about feeling whether something's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral as being connected to, as being physical at times when we have something happen in our body, we cut ourselves with a knife or we fall down and bruise our knee, the unpleasantness there may feel physical. But the understanding in the the Buddhist psychology is that is a mental phenomenon. Whether something is experienced as pleasant or unpleasant is mental. It's it's created by the mind. And actually, I understand that uh, modern day neuroscience agrees with this, that our... um, um, what is pleasant and unpleasant experience is constructed in a very rudimentary place in our brains. So the, um, the, the notion of uh, pleasant, unpleasant is beginning to touch into the recognition of a mental aspect of experience, but often an area that may be easier to connect to in a way, especially in the realm of physical experience. And so, you know, we start with the body, the first foundation, the body experience, and then we may begin to be able to touch into the feeling tone, whether a bodily experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. 
And then we might also begin to recognize that our mental experience, our thoughts, our moods, our ideas also have that feeling tone. So happiness feels pleasant and anger unpleasant. And so we may, we may begin to taste that in our experience. And then the Buddha encourages us, the teachings encourages us to move to beyond just pleasant and unpleasant to notice some particular qualities in the mind. In particular, the presence and absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. This is the third foundation, looking at qualities of mind. The presence and absence of greed, aversion, and delusion, and the presence and absence of a deepening of um, our ability to be stable in the present moment, uh, kind of the recognition of the stability of the mind. The uh, exploration of um, awareness of being concentrated or not concentrated. So these three first foundations, these first three foundations, I kind of understand as being an encouragement to get familiar in the present moment with the whole, like of all of our human experience. Learn how to stabilize mindfulness with whatever's arising in the present moment. We can also understand these as uh, these instructions, the first foundation of body, uh, the second of feeling, the third of looking at these qualities in the mind as being exercises to direct the attention to. We can look at the, the uh, Satipatthana Sutta in that way. And we can also look at it as being whatever is arising in this present moment, whatever is like most obvious that can be found like if the most obvious thing is a is a pressure uh in in the body then that is that is the first foundation we're noticing we're noticing the physicality of that pressure the elemental nature of that experience what might be most obvious is a is a, a happiness the absence of greed the absence of aversion a kind of a delight in the mind that's in the um the third foundation, noticing that quality of mind. And so we don't necessarily have to think about choosing a particular foundation. We can just open, as I was describing in the guided meditation, just open to what's most obvious and be aware of it as um, an experience in the present moment, the body, a feeling, a mental experience, so really, these, these, these three foundations encourages us to establish or steady our minds with whatever's happening in the present moment. The fourth foundation of mindfulness is an encouragement in a way, I think, to, to look at our experience from the perspectives of the Buddha's teachings of Dharma. Because there are five lists in the fourth foundation, all Dharma lists that uh, are an encouragement to look at our experience from the perspective of the hindrances, the five aggregates, the six sense bases, the seven factors of awakening, and the four noble truths. And so the, the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta say something like, one understands um, experience as experience or phenomena, the, the Pali term for this fourth foundation, Dhamma Nupassana, um, 
the word Dhamma having multiple meanings in the suttas, one of the meanings is the Buddhist teaching. Uh, another meaning is simply phenomena, just experience. And so the, uh, the fourth foundation, mindfulness of Dhamma, can be understood from these two perspectives, you know, just the, the arising of phenomenon and uh, in the framework or through the framework of these Dharma lists. And so each one says, you know, how does one understand phenomena as phenomena in terms of the hindrances? How does one understand phenomena as phenomena in terms of the seven factors of awakening? And the, um, you know, in any moment of experience, the, the, the instructions in each of those, just those two lists, let's just look at those two lists in the moment, in this moment. Um, in the instructions, the encouragement is to notice the presence or absence of the hindrances. So is, uh, is, is um, anxiety arising or is it not arising? In any moment of experience, one of those will be true. And so we can, we can orient our um, kind of like the looking at experience, whatever's arising in the present moment, we can understand whether there is um, restlessness arising or not arising, sloth and torpor arising or not arising ill will arising or not arising, doubt arising or not arising. And so this is, this is looking at experience from that perspective or from through that framework, seeing experience in terms of the hindrances. With the seven, seven factors of awakening, it kind of gets flipped around that we are kind of oriented towards seeing some of the wholesome qualities, noticing the arising of the, the presence or absence of, um, of mindfulness itself, of energy, of rapture, of tranquility, of concentration, of equanimity. Are they present or absent? And again, in any moment of experience, one of these two will be true. Either there will be the presence of equanimity or there won't be the presence of equanimity. And so whatever's happening in experience, we can see experience in the moment in terms of the seven factors of awakening. So that's, that's kind of the, the way, a way, let's say, of understanding what this fourth foundation is, is to begin to understand experience through these Dharma perspectives. So the, the last Dharma perspective offered in the, in the fourth foundation is the Four Noble Truths. So the teaching for this one, again, it's, it's uh, how does one understand phenomena in terms of the Four Noble Truths? And the instructions go something like this. One understands as it actually is, this is suffering. This is dukkha. One understands as it actually is, this is the arising of dukkha, or this is the origin of dukkha. One understands as it actually is, this is the ending of dukkha. 
and one understands as it actually is, this is the way or the path leading to the ending of dukkha. So I'm sure you recognize those as related to the Four Noble Truths, the Four Noble Truths sometimes stated as the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause or the the origin of suffering, the truth of the ending of suffering, and the truth of the path leading to the ending of suffering. That is the way it's kind of framed in the first um, discourse, the, 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 the famous first discourse of the setting of the wheel of the Dharma in motion. There, the, the, the tr- what is the truth of suffering? What is the truth of, so the Buddha ex- explores these questions in that. So the first noble truth, the truth of suffering, the, the second noble truth, the truth of the arising or the origin of suffering. That framing of the four noble truths makes it sound like something just to understand. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like it makes it almost sound like, okay, so I need to study this. I need to understand what the truth of suffering is. And that is a place to begin our uh, exploration of the Four Noble Truths. We do need to understand the concepts that the Buddha taught, what he meant by suffering even, what he meant by the arising of suffering and the ending of suffering and what he meant by the path leading to the ending of suffering. We do need to understand that. And this, um, uh, the series that we've been doing, you know, the series that um, we've been exploring on this Tuesday morning for a very long time has been exploring that very question. What are these four noble truths? And in this last, you know, many weeks, we've been exploring what, what is the eightfold path? And right now looking at what is the right mindfulness aspect of the eightfold path. That's where we are in this, in this exploration of understanding these four noble truths from a conceptual level. In this, um, teaching in the Satipatthana Sutta, the instruction is to understand as it actually is, this is suffering. This is dukkha. This is an encouragement to recognize in present moment experience, the experience of dukkha, the experience of the arising of dukkha, the experience of the ending of dukkha, and the experience of the path leading to the ending of dukkha. So what does that mean? So the language is encouraging us to know in the present moment. It's um, not just understand it as the concept. The, The language is definitely this understands as it actually is. Yata Buddha is the word for as it actually is, as it has come to be. And this is, uh, this is connected with the, the understanding in the present moment, the arising of experience in the present moment. That word is, is really pointing to the momentary experience of, of the present moment. So understanding in the present moment, these four aspects and again, uh, as with the other um, 
frameworks in the fourth foundation. Any moment of experience, one of these four will be arising or will be present. There will either be the experience of dukkha, it's arising, it's ending, or there will be some aspect of the path being cultivated, being practiced or cultivated. It can get even more subtle than that, I think, and I'll I'll touch on that in just a moment. In a way, well, I'll just touch on that in a moment. So this kind of seeing, the in the moment understanding of this perspective, this is dukkha. This is the arising of dukkha. This is the ending of dukkha. This way of seeing, over and over again in the suttas, this way of seeing as pointed to as being freedom, as being the ending of suffering. And I think in a way, this may be why it's the last list in our uh, fourth foundation of mindfulness. This is the whole direction that the Buddhist teachings point to is understanding suffering, understanding the arising of suffering, understanding the ending of suffering, not conceptually, but experientially. This is seeing that frees the mind. There, there's multiple ways in which it's stated. It's interesting. It's not always using this term dukkha in this, in this perspective, in this, um, um, framework. So the, the framework, this is dukkha. I'm going to replace, um, the word dukkha with X. I'm a mathematician by training. So that comes naturally to me. So this is X. This is the arising of X. This is the ending of X. This is the way leading to the ending of X. There's a lot of different words the suttas put in in place of X, including clinging, for instance, just one of the many that it puts in there. So this is clinging. This is the arising of clinging. This is the ending of clinging. This is the way leading to the ending of clinging. It also includes in there just the simple um, kind of experience of a sight, a sound. Like this is the arising of a sense experience. It includes the, the five aggregates. This is the arising of feeling or perception. This is, this is feeling or perception. This is the arising of feeling or perception. This is the ending of feeling or perception. This is the way leading to the ending of feeling or perception. So this kind of seeing with any experience, this kind of seeing will free the mind. So there are different definitions of the word dukkha um, in the in the teachings, different ways that this word can be understood. And so I want to talk about two in particular. One is the way I think we normally think about dukkha. We often the word dukkha is translated as suffering. 
And the, the way we think about suffering is like something that's really hard, you know, uh, experience that's painful, um, a lot of tension going on, stress. Um, so that, 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 that's one way that it's, it's understood. This, in this way, in this definition, suffering is present when craving is arising. When greed, aversion, and delusion are arising, when they are present, the mind is in a state of suffering. Now, we may or may not notice that. I mean, I, I know from my own experience, in, in, um, in, especially in my early days, the kind of shock that when I, I began to recognize that being angry was actually painful. You know, that, that, that it was, that it was, that that kind of quality in the mind was really painful to this, to this being, in the moment painful to this being. So we don't always recognize the suffering of these states of greed, aversion, and delusion. But the understanding in the Buddhist psychology is that when they are arising in the mind, the mind is kind of trapped in a net. It is stuck. It's in a sticky ball of a mess. And so, um, when that uh, is arising, that is that is suffering. That is one way to understand dukkha. And so, from that perspective, the instruction of that of that definition of dukkha, the instruction in this fourth foundation, understanding this is dukkha. That instruction encourages us to get to know this is greed. This is aversion. This is delusion. This is the experience of anger. This is the experience of confusion or frustration or doubt. This is the experience of reactivity in the mind. This is the experience of dullness in the mind. So that when, when that, uh, those kinds of, when greed, aversion, and delusion are present, we are encouraged to notice them and that that is the, that is the way this instruction could be understood with that definition of dukkha. Just understanding greed, aversion, delusion present in the mind. The second instruction, what this is the arising of greed, aversion, and delusion. That that can be understood just as seeing it coming into being, you know, seeing the mind kind of heading there. Or it can be understood as kind of seeing what's the kind of seed or trigger for that greed, aversion, or delusion. Both are useful. Just seeing, because there's two ways, you know, again, there's, there's multiple ways these teachings can be understood. This phrase... Um, uh, this, this, the phrase of the second uh, noble truth, the origin or the arising, the word in Pali is samudaya. So samudaya can be understood as simply an arising, just the arising of an experience. So just, you know, a sound arises. It's like, that's an arising. Or we might understand um, it as being like what is like the thing or the, th- the thing that's kind of in the flow of experience that's leading to that 
arising. So the origin of or the cause of, sometimes that word samudaya is translated in that way. And so, for instance, we might recognize that this aversion is arising in dependence on a belief in the mind, an idea or something like that. And so we see a connection, we see a causal relationship. So that might be, again, how we understand the second noble truth, the seeing in the moment of how the mind is heading towards something. The third, the ending of, seeing the ending of, might be, might, can just be understanding or seeing the, um, with the continuity of mindfulness, we might begin to see aversion pass away or greed pass away or delusion pass away. We see that it ends. We might see that happen. And that also very powerful experience directly in the present moment. All three of these are very powerful to see, to understand in the present moment, oh, this is dukkha. This is aversion. This is a happening in the present moment. Or to see or understand, this is how that aversion arises. Very powerful. The mind can, in seeing that, just let it go. And then see the ending of that aversion and feel the the peace, the ease that comes with that ending of that aversion. And we also, the the fourth um, understanding, the fourth insight or recognition is, you know, it might be that while we are noticing, for instance, or seeing, aware of an aversion, we, we may begin to see that you know, it's, we're not seeing it's arising necessarily. We're not seeing it's passing it away. We understand that it's dukkha. And with that understanding, we kind of have the sense, I'm on the path. This is the way. This is what will help. This is, this will support the mind. My mind is going in many different directions right now. I'm trying to decide which thread to pick up on. Um, I think what I'll do, I'll I'll stick with my original plan of talking about the two definitions of dukkha. So that first definition of dukkha is, is seeing or in the moment understanding the presence absence of dukkha in terms of the greed, aversion, and delusion, that definition of of uh, dukkha being the presence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And what's the way leading to the ending of greed, aversion, and delusion? That's being on the eightfold path, having the view that it's useful to look at our experience in the present moment. The second way that dukkha is understood in the in the suttas is much more generally than as some kind of stress or suffering, the, the English word that we use. But it is as the um, understanding of unreliability, unsatisfactoriness, so this 
understanding of the word dukkha refers to every single thing that we experience. Whether greed, aversion, and delusion are arising or not, experience is unreliable because it is impermanent. There's nothing in our experience that lasts. Actually, nothing that lasts for more than a a split second. And because of that, there is nothing that is reliable as a place to say, yep, this is where I can be happy forever. There's nothing in our human arising experience that is a place to land where we can say, yep, that's going to do it for me. Our experience is not reliable in terms of being able to provide that lasting happiness. Experience itself is not reliable. From this perspective, the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta, this is dukkha, refers to any moment of experience understanding the unreliable nature of experience. It's almost like as a corollary of understanding the impermanent nature of experience. We really understand the impermanent nature of experience. We know it's unreliable. All experience is unreliable. That is a way to understand the the, the insight of that instruction or the, 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 in the, a way to understand what that instruction is pointing to, the kind of seeing that instruction is pointing to. This is unreliable. That's a hard thing to both to grasp and to open to. The vulnerability, the uncertainty that that kind of opens us to feels very unstable, feels very unwelcome, let's say. And it is that very uh, unwelcomeness, you know, that creates the craving that we want something to be reliable. And the paradox, the deep paradox that the Buddha found is that that's very craving for something to be reliable that is in the way of the lasting happy, of a lasting happiness, of a lasting happiness that doesn't come from demanding anything be reliable, but aligning with the truth of unreliability. There's a phrase in one of my favorite uh, uh, suttas that um, just points to kind of this place. Let's see if I can pull it up. I've got piece a piece of it, but I want to get the bigger context. Um,
Well, I can't quite get the whole thing. Um, but what I will do is this one piece of it, which um, the the instruction or the understanding that's pointed to is all that's arising is only unreliable experience arising and all that is ceasing, all that is ending, that too is just unreliable experience ending. And so that that kind of understanding, the all that's happening is unreliable experience arising and ceasing. For me, at, at certain points in my practice, that that phrase has arisen in my mind. And it's like, oh yeah, it's like there's something really freeing about that understanding. The mind just doesn't cling and doesn't crave it to be any different when it understands. It's like, it's just unreliable experience arising. You know, why would I want to hold on to that? It's just unreliable experience ceasing. Why would I want to, you know, mourn that? It's just, it's just unreliable experience arising and ceasing. And that really, to me, feels like the encouragement of this instruction in the fourth foundation around dukkha when dukkha is understood from this perspective just the unreliable nature of experience so this is unreliable experience just replace dukkha there the translation dukkha with the word unreliable this is unreliable experience this is the arising of unreliable experience this is the ending of unreliable experience and this is the way leading to understanding the ending of unreliable experience and again there's there's a freedom in there it 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 sounds potentially a little odd that freedom can you know that that kind of seeing can be so freeing but it is i can i can uh I can tell you that that kind of seeing is very freeing. So those are some thoughts about this instruction in the fourth foundation. And I want to see if there's any comments or reflections or questions about, about what I've shared. Yeah, Fred. Hmm, You're still muted. One of the things that I'm curious about is the sequence of the last two truths. Uh, the first two, uh, you know, seem to fall in a logical sequence. I'm curious about why cessation is talked about before the, if you will, the method of getting there. <laughs> So there's a couple of a couple of ways to explore this. This is a great question, and I think it's one that has, you know, it does it has come up many times uh, over the last 2,600 years. So it's not it's, it's like there's a there's a lot a lot to say about this. I'll, I'll try to keep it fairly succinct. Um, two two key pieces, two ways to explore this. One is. Um, kind of the traditional way is that, you know, in a way, the the framework of the Four Noble Truths is expressed almost as a medical model, you know, in, it, it, you know, in, the, in the medical model, you've got, you know, first, 
what's the what's the um the diagnosis you know so dukkha that's the diagnosis and then the second is like what's what what's making that happen you know so the second one is the cause of dukkha um the third is is it is it possible to cure this basically the question so that question gets answered and then the fourth is yes it is possible and here's the prescription so you know the the if you go to a doctor, it's like first they diagnose, then they look for the cause, and then is there a cure? So that that question, you know, the third noble truth is, is there a cure? Yes, there's a cure. Okay, what is the cure? Um, so that's one way to understand that progression. Another way is, um, there's actually three three that I'll explore here if I've got time. Um, so the second, second way is to, to look at... Um, a cause and effect relationship between the first and second noble truths and the third and fourth noble truths. So in the first two noble truths, dukkha is kind of the the statement. And the, the second one is what's, you know, what's the cause or what leads to dukkha? So the, what's the, what, what's the thing that's, that's leading in the direction of dukkha? So the second one being kind of the, the impulse in the direction of the first. And again, in the third and fourth, the, so the, 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 the third one is the, the ending of dukkha. And the fourth is, well, what, how do we get there? So, you know, so that there's a similar, there's a, a congruence between the causality in a causality model. There's a congruence between the second one kind of heading in the direction of the first and the fourth one heading in the direction of the third. So there's a congruence in that. Another way to look at this, uh, which I, I particularly like this one, um, it's unconventional, I would say, but um, um, the first noble, what, what, what can happen in the unfolding of our path is you know, we see, we see a suffering, we see something, we see the experience of, of dukkha. And, you know, with enough continuity of mindfulness, we begin to understand how that comes into being. Often that's the second thing we'll see. It's like we, first thing we notice is, yeah, blah, this doesn't feel good. And then as the, the mindfulness gets a little more continuous, we actually might see, well, what's going on there? How is that coming into being? So we see something of the arising. And as mindfulness gets even more continuous, we might see it end. So those three uh, are kind of, you know, as mindfulness gets stronger, those three are kind of the progression of, of, the, of the experience. Now, we don't get into that progression without having the path to begin us. So we have to, we have, to have that path to begin us in the first place. So how do we understand the fourth noble, the fourth noble truth as, as following that third and this is, this is what I, this is where I kind of like this image, the image of a path. Um, so the path, you know, we're following a path. We're following people that have trod this path before. We've had to have people talk about it. You know, we've had to, you know, get to know what, you know, what the teachings are in order to see these first three. And so now after we've seen these three, we are also really on that path. We are treading the path and keeping it open for others to follow. 
So that's, there's a, the, the fourth, um, each of these four noble truths has an action associated with it. We understand suffering, abandon the cause of suffering, abandon the arising of suffering or the, the what leads to the arising of suffering. We uh, realize the ending of suffering and we develop the path leading to the ending of suffering. So the development of the path is both occurring at the beginning. You know, we, we have to have that at the beginning. Um, but also the development of the path is ongoing as we continue to practice, as we, uh, you know, land and actually understand something. We're doing a much better job of developing the path for people who are coming behind us on the path. And so that's another way of, of understanding, understanding that. But yes, we definitely have to, I think the, the fourth noble truth, the, the, at least some level of intellectual understanding has to precede even beginning to step on the path. So, yeah. And, and the, the whole framework of the four noble truths as a whole kind of both begins and ends with the eightfold path. So right view, the first element of the eightfold path. I hope you can still hear me over the... <laughs> <laughs> um, so right view, the first element of the eightfold path is basically understand the four noble truths and understand the path. You know, understand how we how we practice. So, so right view is kind of a first starting with an intellectual understanding of of the path, and so you know, right view uh, includes the eightfold path, includes understanding the eightfold path is needed to get anywhere. So right at the beginning of the four noble truths is you're right at the beginning of the eightfold path is this right view. And, um, um, and then the, the, um, the four, the, so right view, it, it includes like the understanding of the four noble truths also. And so the right, the, the eightfold path begins with the four noble truths and the eightfold path, uh, ends the four noble truths. <laughs> so it just kind of, it kind of circles around. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, we do have to begin it. And there's another teaching about wisdom that points to three levels of wisdom, the wisdom of reading, taking in information and concepts, the wisdom that comes through reflection and the wisdom that comes through direct understanding. And so we need the eightfold path at all three of those levels. So there's, there's a way in which it does have to begin uh, our practice, but it's, there's also a deeper understanding that comes at the end of our practice. So it's, it's, it's like a deepening of the, the layers of understanding of, of all of these teachings. So that's a great question. And, you know, some of what you've said, uh, for me, uh, takes me to Stephen Batchelor and his idea of he may my my understanding is he maintains that there was an earlier understanding of the four noble truths and that there was that they were four noble tasks but well that that activities. is that is in the suttas directly those those four actions the tasks mm -hmm. associated with the four noble truths 
That is absolutely in the suttas. There's no question about that. The, the framework of the Four Noble Truths leading one to the other like that, that understanding that I just talked about is from Stephen Batchelor. You know, that, that is his, his model of how, you know, we progress from one to the other of the Four Noble Truths. So that is his teaching there. Um, and I, that, that his analogy of the path, you know, being cultivated once we've kind of completed the task of understanding suffering, that's Stevens. Yeah. <laughs>